Jesus speaking, he says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. Let me just read that again. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. That word eternal life there is the Greek word zoe, means eternal life. Every time we see eternal life written here in this passage, it's the word zoe, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, Zoe. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come on, church. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do the will of the one, not to do rather my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is going to be fun. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word, we declare that it is true, that it is absolute truth. It sets the standard for truth. We believe that it was inspired through the Holy Spirit, written down by men under the unction of God. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ the Son. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God the Father. No one can get to God unless they come through Jesus. We believe that, God, you are, you are wooing us, drawing us to yourself. And, and upon believing, repenting, confessing our sins, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And this is only possible because of the death, life, because of the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the true Messiah and true King, Jesus Christ, who we elevate and lift up and make the center and make much of here today. We are your church. We are your body. A community that gathers together for one purpose, to take forward the name of Jesus Christ and make disciples and preach the gospel in this world. Encourage us today in your word to do these things. In Jesus' name, we all said? Amen. Come on, church, we all said? Amen. This is second service. Good to see you guys this morning. You guys doing well? Yeah. And we, got a, we got a bunch of people joining us online today. If you would be so kind... Uh, would you just welcome our online family today? We're happy that they're here with us. Good to be with you guys. I got a little bit of a tickle in my throat today, so uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to be drinking a little bit of coffee. So you're going to hear me do that every time I take a sip. I'm sorry. All right, so we are in uh, John chapter 6. We've been in John chapter 6 for a while. Man, I'm really excited about, I'm really excited about this sermon. 
I really am. So much good stuff here. Um, in John chapter 6, just to give us, get us up to speed, it, it opens up with one of the most famous miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. Scholars, theologians will tell you it was more something like fifteen to 20,000 people. After Jesus performs this miracle, he slips away into the mountains, right? Uh, out of a concern that the people that he just served were going to forcibly make him their king. And of course, we know that Jesus did come to be the king. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, did come to be the king, just not to be the king they had in mind. These Jewish men and women wanted a king that would help keep their bellies full, their bodies whole, a king who would, through military action, raise up the Jewish nation to be in power, prosperity, and abundance. They wanted a king that would fulfill their desires. Jesus came to be a king that would change their desires. Amen? Amen. Listen, I'm going to just be honest with you really quick. Uh, it's going to go better for you if you help me preach this sermon, okay? Going to go much better for you. By the way, I don't know if you recognize this, but we are two weeks away from Easter, which is basically the Super Bowl of Christianity. I don't know if you know that or not. And uh, I want to I encourage you, we are doing everything possible to accommodate you. We, we literally, we've set out every single chair that we have in this building, okay? We've got a couple over here. We've put every single chair in here. We're offering a fourth service on Easter. We're encouraged about that. We're excited about that. Uh, we've got Easter invites out there. There's a skull on them. I know some people are like, I'm not handing anything out with a skull. I get that. I feel you on that. But I, I also want you to understand that Easter is not just a day exclusive to Christians, okay? You have to understand that we wrestle with this, this thing where it's like uh, Easter, yes, it's like our Super Bowl, but it is also one of the greatest opportunities that we have to invite and share the gospel with our friends and community. And so it is this incredibly beautiful dance and, and delicate thing that we do between death and life. So some of you are like, hey, how come we have a skull on there? I want you to know that's why. Because Easter, yes, it represents life, but there is no life unless there was first death. We're going to get into that in a minute. So we're trying to represent that. See if you have questions about that. just want to throw that out there, help you understand. Um, but apart from that, we're back in John chapter 6. The king that they missed, a king that through military action would kind of do what they wanted to do, and Jesus was like, I'm not about that. So he slips away. And they missed, at least that day, they missed Jesus. They missed him. Um, and they missed Jesus because they were looking through a, a temporary lens, a short-sighted view of Jesus on, on what he came to do because Jesus was unlike any type of king they'd seen before. He was unlike that, right? He's unlike any king. In fact, what they missed was the fact that Jesus Christ is in a class all unto himself. Would you agree? Jesus Christ has no competition for his crown, and you should know that. There are no competitors for the throne of Jesus Christ. Amen. There are no competitors for the crown of Jesus Christ. There is no competition over the king's status of Jesus Christ. Jesus is unique. You're going to have to give me a minute here, okay? He is unique. He is Lord of all. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the image of the invisible God. Scripture calls him the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the preeminent one. I'm just going to keep going until somebody says amen. Jesus rules and reigns supreme. He was before time. He will be after time, the inventor of time. And this is what the Jews missed. This is what these men and women missed because they wanted a meal. I get it. 
I've eaten some pretty good meals in my life. But at the expense of missing the Messiah, that is a significant error. And yet, just like the early crowds that followed Jesus, we often miss him too. We miss Jesus for who he is because we are too focused on Jesus being who we want him to be. Let me just say that one more time. We often miss Jesus for who he is because we are too busy trying to see him for who we want him to be. And although it is true that Jesus knows and cares about your needs and your desires, Jesus mainly came to be that which we need to change our desires. In fact, as we're going to demonstrate today, the entire purpose that Jesus performed this miracle was not to just feed these people, but to do something vastly different. In fact, it was to demonstrate a deeper truth. Listen to how Jesus begins laying the foundation in verse 26. You guys ready for today? Yes, we ready? Can we jump into this? I'm excited about this. Y'all need to get on that same track with me. Come on. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, you know it's going to be good when he says it twice, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. Let me just say that again. Do not work for the food that perishes. That's so good. Would you just say that with me now? It's right here. Do not work for the food. All right, if you're online and you're watching from your home, you're sitting with your cat just right now, just say it with me anyway. Do not work for the food, yes, that perishes, but for the food that endures to Zoe, the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus begins addressing the same crowd, mostly the same crowd, that just yesterday he fed. Over 5,000 theologians, scholars will tell you more like 15,000, 20,000. He says, listen, listen, the truth is, you're not following me looking for signs that I am who I claim to be. You just want a food. And then he says this, stop it. <laughs> I love Jesus, but he says, he says, stop it. This is why you're here, but I'm telling you, stop it. Don't follow me for food that perishes. Follow me for food that brings eternal life. Eternal life. And then he says, work at that. Work towards that. And if you keep reading, you see that then they ask, okay, Jesus, well, how, how do we work for eternal life? What are these works that we must do in order to get eternal life? And that's a good question. What do we need to do? What is the work we must do to get eternal life? To which Jesus responds in verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. In other words, allow God to do the work in you and believe that I am who I claim to be. Allow God to do God's work, and then your response is belief. How do we attain eternal life, church. Allow God to do the work and respond to his movement in our life but through belief. I know that there are all these religions and sophisticated spiritual gurus that tell you that you have to do this and this and this and this and this, change this, do this. But Jesus himself, when asked point blank, how do I gain eternal life, looks at people and says, allow God to do the work and you just respond with belief. Believe. Elsewhere, Scripture says, believe 
on the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If anyone calls on me, what? And believes in his heart, what? That I am who I say I am and God raised me from the grave, what? You shall be saved. It's an amazing concept, an amazing understanding. God desires to do work in these men and women. God desires to do work in us because the work that God wants to do in them is the same work that God wants to do us, to do to us, which is draw him, draw us to himself. Listen to me now. This is, this is very important. God desires to draw everyone to himself. God desires to reveal who he is and then give us the faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Don't ever for a moment misunderstand the work that God does uh, in our salvation versus the work that we do in our salvation. Don't ever misunderstand the work that God does versus the work that we do, okay? Now I know this is a big, there's a big theological split here to a degree. But let's just focus right here on what Jesus says. In fact, look at what Jesus says in verse 44. He says, no one can come to, the, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one. You can't get to Jesus unless God first comes to you. Now, doesn't this just follow exactly historically how God has worked? I mean, Romans tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who took the first step? Was it us or was it God? It was God. God, and here's what you need to know. God is actively pursuing you. In this moment right now, in this church right now, online watching right now, I want you to know God is after you. God is pursuing you. God is actively trying to draw you to himself. You say, why? Because he wants to give you the faith to respond and believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation. Now, I know this can be a little bit hairy. I mentioned that Easter. In two weeks, we're celebrating Easter. I'm excited about it. You're excited about it. It's going to be a good time. But I have to ask you a question. We're celebrating the resurrection of a man, Jesus Christ, God-man, who is resurrected from the grave. But I want to just go to that because we are also, we, we as individuals, we experience resurrection when we follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on, church, are we, are we split on that? We experience resurrection when we follow Jesus Christ, amen? Okay, good, yes. Elsewhere in scripture it says resurrection, elsewhere it says we're dead, elsewhere it says we're asleep. My question is this, what can a dead man do to bring himself to life? What can a dead individual do to raise themselves from the dead? Now, I've never been dead before, I'm gonna put that out there, and I've never really talked to dead people before. Okay? Also put that out there. If you're like, well, I have. All right, good. Let's have a conversation after church. All right. But here's what I know about death. There, things aren't functioning. The heart's not beating. The mind's not moving. How can a dead man will himself to life? How can something that is dead be brought to life unless an outside force chooses to grab on and bring it to life? How can that take place? In the same manner, I want you to know, God is pursuing you. God is chasing you. God makes the first move every time. Every single time, it is God pursuing you. 
Every single time, it is God saying, I want you. Every single time, it is God chasing after you. Our work is to recognize, as God, recognize God's work and movement in our life and respond in faith and believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's our work. That's our work. And you're like, well, hold on. I mean, yeah, but then i got to work to keep it, right? Let me ask you something. Just, just put this to rest for a moment. So God calls you, as Ephesians tells us, before the very foundations of the earth were laid. He calls you and knows you by name. He then sends Jesus Christ into this world while you're a dead sinner, executes his love for you and showing, and, and, and showing that through Jesus, dying for you, rising again for you, chases after you, gives you the faith and the grace to believe in it. Holy Spirit fills you, and then you sin, and God's like, all right, well, peace out, man. Is that what happens? Is that what takes place? Or do we believe that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells and works and moves and strives alongside us? Church, this is so important for you to understand. In fact, I'm just going to take a time for this, okay? When Jesus Christ forgives you of your sin when you come to Jesus, what sin does he forgive you of? All sin or some sin? Hopefully all sin. He saves you from all your sin. All the sins you did, all the sins you're doing, and all the sins you will do. Understand that when Jesus saves you and forgives you of your sin, he is setting up shop for the rest of your life. He is living and dwelling inside of you. Different message, different time. Understand, though, God is the one who makes the first move towards us. This is echoed in Paul's letters everywhere. That's it. And this is what Jesus was telling them. The very same thing. So, how do they respond? Look at verse 30. So they said to Jesus, okay, this sounds good. So, uh, what signs do you do that we can believe you then? What works do you perform? And they go on this tangent. They say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Pause real quick. If you're new to this whole Christian game, you need to understand there's a dude named Moses, prophet from God, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of captivity, to a, a, a land called the promised land. Okay, that God had promised to his people. In the middle of it, they're traveling through a desert, no food. Basically, God makes it rain bread. Okay, that's basically what you need to know. Manna, it's an amazing miracle. They go out, they find bread on the ground. It's basically what it is. And what they're saying to Jesus is like, we know you can multiply bread, but can you make it rain bread? Because that would be something. That's what they're saying. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, Zoe, to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Basically like, okay. So if what you say is true, then show us a sign. Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. That was a real sign. Can you make a rain bread? That would be a great indication. Then maybe we would believe in you, to which Jesus says, you're still not getting it. It wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. It was my father that gave you the bread. And the real bread is the one who comes into this world to bring Zoe, to bring life, to which they then say, great, give us that bread that we can eat then. And then Jesus says this in verse 35. All that, a setup for this one verse. Look at this now. Jesus then said to them, read these first words with me. I am the bread of life. You want that bread? 
You want that eternal life? You want that Zoe? Guess what? I am the bread of life. And then he drops this. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amen, church. Whoever eats of Jesus Christ shall never hunger again. Whoever eats of Jesus Christ shall never thirst. Now, this should sound familiar. Jesus had this exact conversation with a woman at a well. Remember that lady? Jesus is like, hey, go call your husband. And the lady's like, I don't have any husbands. And Jesus is like, that's right, you have like 95 of them. Right? Not really 95. And the one you're living with now, that's not your husband either. She's like, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And Jesus is like, no, duh. Literally, that's what he says in Greek. No, duh. Back to seventh grade with that one. Jesus says, okay, you want bread that gives eternal life? Well, guess what? That's me. That's me. I am the Zoe. I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger. That was the point of me feeding you. Did you get that, by the way? That is what Jesus was demonstrating in breaking this bread and multiplying it to everyone. Because just as the bread was broken, and enough, more than enough for everyone, such is the case with Jesus, whose body must be broken, and it is enough for everyone and more. See, on the cross, Jesus Christ's body was broken for you, broken for me. Just as this bread is broken, the body of Jesus Christ had to be broken for us. And just as we would eat bread, you have to understand that when we ingest Jesus Christ, we ingest the holy living God through the Holy Spirit, he takes residence inside of us and lives inside of us, and there is more than enough for all of us. There is more than enough Jesus for all of us. Ain't nobody running out of Jesus. Nobody. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. All that to get to my first point in the sermon, all right? Don't worry, there's only one point in the sermon today, so stop freaking out. One point, it's 10.50. Here's the first point. Jesus didn't come to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus didn't come to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus came into this world to save us. And this is so important for you to understand. Jesus came into this world to save us. And just as the bread that he passed out must be broken, so must Jesus. Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. On going through six, I am the bread of life. On going through John, I am the bread of life. Eat of me. And the implications for the people in Jesus' day were massive. And I would say that the implications for us today are equally massive. Implication number one, and these are going to slap. Number one, stop chasing things that aren't eternal. Stop it. No, 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 no. Seriously, listen to me, church. Stop it. Stop chasing things that aren't eternal. And by the way, you could interchange that word chasing with anything, worrying, stressing, freaking out about, having anxiety over. Stop. Stop. And you need to ask yourself this honest question. Am I chasing eternal things? Or for that matter, am I chasing Jesus with even half the ambition that I'm chasing that house? Am I chasing after Jesus with even half the ambition that I'm chasing that girl? Half the ambition that I'm chasing that man, that job, that career, being an entrepreneur, starting a business. Am I investing in eternal things? 
If the answer is no, then stop. Now, it's more than that. I won't just leave you there on, a, on an island. There's three things you can do. Number one, acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you have been spending more time chasing after things that, that aren't eternal than things that are. Acknowledge it. Number two, repent of it. Give it to God. Number three, align yourself. Realign yourself to Jesus. And here's what that means practically. Three steps. Everything you do should begin, revolve, and end with Jesus. Business, relationships, money, everything. Everything that you do should begin and then revolve and then end with Jesus. Number one, it should begin with Jesus. Why are you doing what you do? Why are you marrying who you're marrying? Why are you going to the career that you're, you're going into? Why are you going to the college? That, why are you going to college? Why are you not going to college? Why are, you do, why are you doing anything? It must begin with Jesus. Like, what does that mean? It begins with his mission. Our Christology defines our mission. Our understanding of Jesus defines our life. You are a missionary. You're like, wait, I didn't, I'm going to Africa now? What's going on? No. You were put where you are to be a missionary, to make disciples. Listen, that's your purpose. No, my purpose is to make money. No, it's not. Your purpose is to bring glory to God, number one. Your purpose through Jesus Christ is to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, number two. Now, how you choose to go about that, that's on you, but it better start with Jesus. Then it has to move into running through Jesus, revolving around Jesus. See, what we do with life is we start a priority list. What's number one on every Christian's priority list? Jesus. What's number two? The Buckeyes. What's number three? Our wife. What's number, you caught my joke there, right? Okay. You're like, yes, amen. I'm on that so far. Yes. Number one, Jesus. Number two, Buckeyes. Number one, Jesus. That's what we say. Number two, our wife, our, our kids, our job, right? Then maybe the Buckeyes. Okay. And so what we do with the priority list is we say, all right, I'm going to spend my time with Jesus. All right, check. I'm going to spend my time with my wife. About a roses. Apologize for what I did. Check. That's just a part of everyday husband life, okay? I'm going to then spend time with my kids, invest in them, check. I'm gonna, and we check off things, and we move from one to the next. But that's not what Jesus asks you to do. See, as a Christian father, I can't delineate between being a father and being a, being a Christian. Being a Christian defines how I'm a father. Being a Christian defines how I'm a dad. Being a Christian defines how I go about my work. Being a Christian defines even how I go about rooting for, the, for, for God's team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. God, God bless us all. I mean, like, that's what I do, right? So being a Christian defines everything I do. So it must begin with Jesus, it must run through Jesus, and it must end with Jesus. What do you mean end with Jesus? Fight the good fight, don't stop, don't give up, keep running. I know it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, you're a tank, not a Corvette. Go up and crush everybody on the way up and finish strong. Don't stop. Keep running for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. That is what it means. And by the way, this is what makes you different. When everybody else lives how they want to live, this is how we live as Christians, defined by the mission of Jesus Christ. People should look at you and say, man, they live different. Why? Well, it goes to church on Sunday. That should be the least different thing about you. Do you understand that? Well, the music that they listen to. That should be the least different thing. What should be the most different is that everything you do, everything you continue to do, every way that you live begins, revolves, and ends with Jesus Christ. Everything. Church, you're not getting this. Listen to me. Everything you do, everything you do, 
begins, revolves, and ends with Jesus Christ. And it's that difference that will preach the gospel to the world. Number one, stop chasing things that aren't eternal. Number two, I've got to finish with this real quick. Number two, stop asking Jesus to accommodate your desires and start asking, what are your desires for me? Stop asking Jesus to accommodate your desires. You're like, well, I thought I was supposed to bring all my needs before Jesus boldly. You are in line with his desires for your life. Case in point, the other day, and by the way, just a, just a little side note, I love all my kids. Okay, I'm just going to say that first. Now I can say what I'm going to say, okay? The other day, one of my boys, who usually isn't wearing clothes, um, and I was lucky he had a pair of shorts on in the car, but shirtless, shoeless, nothing else, you know. And I had already given him a couple pieces of candy because his mom wasn't around. I snuck it into him. He went away. He asked me for ice cream. Dad, can we get ice cream? I said, no, you can't. Well, why? Well, number one, because I said no. And uh, that's always my default answer if I don't have a better answer. And number two, because we haven't had dinner yet. You can't have ice cream. Okay. Hey, Dad, can I have ice cream? No. What, are you asking me again? No. Okay. Hey, Dad, can I have ice cream? No, you can't have ice cream. Dad, can I have, hey, Dad, can we stop for, no, you can't have ice cream, right? Well, what is he doing? He's asking me questions that are outside of my desire for him. It doesn't matter how many times he asks. He's actually being disobedient. The second time he asked, he was disobedient. Why? Because I already told him my intentions. I already told him no. Stop asking Jesus to do things in your life that don't Enlarge eternity. Stop asking Jesus to accommodate your desires when you haven't first submitted your desires under Jesus' desires. Stop. Stop asking God to bless what he doesn't love, what he doesn't like. Number three. We'll finish with this one. Stop ingesting this world thinking that it will ever bring you life. Stop ingesting this world. Another way to say it, stop eating the bread that this world gives to you. Stop thinking that it will give you anything but brokenness, depression, anxiety, burdens, and death. Listen to me, church. That's all this world can do. And, and maybe you're somebody who says, no, I disagree. I believe in the good of this world. Well, let me tell you how Scripture differs in that opinion. There are three enemies to God, the flesh, the devil, and the system of the world. Sin entered into the world and broke the world. And the world needed redeemed, needed restored, and so God sent Jesus Christ to be that restorative agent, to restore things back to the way that they were. But understand that when you ingest this world, it will bring you death. See, what's so funny is we spend all of our time on our phones. We spend all of our time on social media. We're ingesting filth and trash, things we watch, things we listen to, things we think about. And then we wonder, man, why do I feel so bad? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so angry? I just feel angry after 2020, 2020. I just feel angry all the time. Stop eating death bread. Stop eating bread. It's poisonous bread. It brings you to death. Start ingesting the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. 
Start in jail. And you see the problem, right? Because we think, hey, I'm going to eat a barrel of poison and an ounce of good bread, and that's going to be enough. No, that's going to kill you. That's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Are, are we different or are we not, church? Are we different or are we not? Called to be. We are called to be different. Listen to me. Those of you listening online, watching online, you are called to be different. All of us here, we are called to be different, to eat of Jesus, ingest his spirit, to walk in truth, to live on mission, to begin, revolve, and end with all things Jesus. All things Jesus. Bow your heads, close your eyes. This morning, I'm going to leave this to you. I know that God is working. You say, how do you know that? Well, because we've been preaching his word. Not my opinions. This is God's word. And scripture tells us that any time that God's word is shared, it does not return void, which, is, which means this. Right now, in this room, in this audience online, right now, whether you listen to this 10 years from now or not, I want you to hear me very clearly. Listen, listen. Shh, every eye closed, every head bowed. Listen. God is chasing you. God is chasing you. Scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to full repentance. God is chasing you. And I'm sorry to make that known to you, but now that is made known to you, your response is imperative. How you respond to that chasing defines your eternity. Will you submit? Will you surrender? Will you begin eating of the bread of life or will you continue the path of eating this bread of death? Continue after your desires, pursuing instant gratification, pursuing these things above Jesus. That's not why you were created. It will only bring you emptiness. Yes, it will be fun for a season. Yes, it will feel good in the moment. But my friend, it will bring you death. And only Jesus can bring you life. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, no one looking around. I wonder, would you give your life to Jesus today? Would you respond to the work of God by believing in Jesus, that he is who he says he is? With your eyes closed, your head's bowed, nobody looking around this morning. Right now, in this moment, there's no magic words. There's no magic prayer. It's you responding to a God who's been chasing you since day one. If you are willing to respond in faith, willing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, that he rose again, that he can give me salvation and freedom. If that's you this morning, I want you to call out to him right where you are, just in your heart. Call out to him and say, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. I give you my life. I follow you. Against all odds, I know it won't be easy, but I give my life to you right now. And if that's you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to call you out. But if that's you, if you're saying, that's me, I believe in Jesus. I'm following him right now. Right now. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to lift up your hand in boldness. In boldness. Do you hear me? Today is the day of your salvation. You make a statement today. Nobody's going to bum rush you. Nobody's going to grab you. Nobody's going to call you out. Just you and me. I want to pray for you. 
You made that decision to follow Jesus. I count to three. You lift up your hand with power. Do you hear me, young man? You hear me, young lady? You hear me, sir? You hear me, ma'am? You hear me, grandma? You hear me, grandfather? You lift up your hand in boldness when I count to three. You made that decision. Come on. One, two, three. Right now. Lift up your hands. Yes, 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 yes. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. You chickened out the first time. We're going to do it again. People already took the first move. The water's fine. You prayed that prayer. You meant it. This is your second time around. You didn't, do, you didn't raise your hand the first time. You're too scared. This is your time right now. One, two, lift up your hand right now. Three, right now. Yes, I see you. Praise Jesus. Now I see you, man. You put your hand down. God, right now, I just want to... I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing in your house, that we get to stand back and watch you move. We are honored and humbled. Continue to draw us to yourself. We celebrate all that you're doing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you made a decision today, meet me over in the corner here. That sounded weird. Meet me over here in the Connect Center. You don't have to meet me in a corner. In the Connect Center, we want to pray for you encourage you. For those of you who haven't signed up for baptism, covenantchurch.us forward slash baptism. If you haven't been baptized and you know Jesus, man, don't miss it. Next week is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, and you want to be a part of that day. We love you. See you next week. God bless you.